Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If you get conversations going, your conversation is going to be different. Your worldview is going to be different. Your perspective on issues is going to be different. If it's filtered through the Word of God and governed by Christ, you'll be a light. You'll be a light. Uh, it, it'll, just, it'll be different than everything else around you, and it will be a light. So my encouragement to us as a church is that we would continue to let Christ's light shine through us and as individual members when we leave this place, that we take it with us. Don't turn it down. Let, let it shine brighter and brighter. Amen. What does it mean to be a believer and a follower of Christ? Is it a mere profession of faith, baptism, and maintaining a consistent church attendance record? Or does it mean pursuing the kingdom of God and being the change the world so desperately needs? As Pastor Bill will discuss in his message today, you as a believer are called to be a light in the darkness. In his study, you'll gain a better understanding of what it means to represent Christ and to take a stand against compromise and wickedness. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, as he continues his message, A Picture of Jesus. Don't seek to live a life where you try to shield yourself from persecution. You're robbing yourself of something. Jesus told his disciples, he says, look, um, when all men persecute you and revile you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Don't miss out on that. Don't be, don't try to insulate yourself. I'm not saying go out there and be a jerk. And, and you know, because some Christians are weird and they get persecuted because they're just being weird. I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying be be solid. Hold your ground. Share the gospel. Give right answers. You know, give a testimony for who. And if it brings some persecution, accept that. Accept it from the Lord. Amen. It's not a bad thing. And so moving on, verse 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard a voice behind me, a loud voice as of a trumpet. So interesting thing here. John says, I was in the spirit. What does that mean? It's not just that he was walking in the spirit. This is a little more than that. He's saying, I was in a spiritual state of being. Basically, he's in a place of communing with the Lord. Four times in the book of Revelation, it says that John was in the spirit. It doesn't mean that he's in the flesh the rest of the time. And then right now he's like, "Who? now I'm in the spirit. Ooh, you know, but it, it seems to mean that there's these moments where as John is walking with the Lord, he has these moments where he's he's just connecting with the Lord. God's revealing things to him. And he says, I was in the spirit. Interesting here that as he, he says, I'm in the spirit on the Lord's day for the New Testament saints. The Lord's day was Sunday. This is so interesting to me, right? Because we're all here today. God bless you guys for showing up on Sunday, especially if you were here last night and ate until we rolled out the door. Y'all back at the early service. God bless y'all. So, but John, for his, he's exiled to an island. There's no church service to go to, but it's the Lord's day. And John says, I'm, a, I'm a, he's somewhere communing with the Lord on the Lord's day. Not going to be held back. Not, I mean, if, any, if he had an excuse, he could have said, God, I used to go to church every week when I was free. Now you got me on this island out here, so I'm going to just lay here and mope around. He didn't do that. Somehow, some way, he found himself somewhere on the Lord's day where he's in communion with the Lord, and God meets him. God meets him there. Amen? Don't make excuses to miss out on what God want to give you. Don't, don't. No, no, no not this. It's the other service. It's, the other, it's some other people. The people that's not here. Not y'all, because y'all here. So, but he says he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard a voice behind him, the loud voice as of a trumpet. And so this voice that he hears is a trumpet. Trumpets throughout scripture are, it's used to get your attention. It's to arrest your attention. And so 
As he hears what we're going to find to be the Lord's voice, the first thing he heard, it was like the sound of a trumpet. God was arresting his attention. And I would just ask us today, does the Lord have your attention? Does he have your attention? Do you give God your attention? Because you can give it to him. He can arrest your attention. But does God have your attention? Think about your life. Think about a week. Think about seven days. Think about the hours of the day. And is there? do you give God space and time? Does he have your attention? Because some of us, God got to, you know, paralyze us, put us in the hospital, you know, with a trach in our throat. Then we're like, it got my attention, Lord. You know, for some of y'all, you know, that's, it's got to be, you know, near critical condition, halfway to, to heaven. And then he has your attention. But God says, I, you know, for, for him, he hears his voice as a loud trumpet and, and God has his attention. Don't make it difficult for God to get your attention. Amen. Just give it to him. Just pull up in the morning for devotion and give God your undivided attention. When we show up at church like this, we're saying, God, we could be anywhere right now. But we showed up. We're giving you our attention right now. I'll speak to us. Give him your attention Sundays. Give it to him during the week. Give it to him. Give him, God, have my attention. Arrest my attention. I want to hear from you. And so it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He heard the voice as of a trumpet. In verse 11, the voice was saying to him, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so this voice speaks to him. It gives him the title that belongs to, to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This is God is speaking to him. What does that mean? What's, what's significant when God says, I'm, I'm the first and the last? God says, I'm the beginning and the end of everything. I'm, I'm all, everything exists in me. I began it. I ended it. Uh, you really can't. Where else can I go? Who else is the beginning and the end? No, that's not true about anybody else but God. No one else is eternal. No one else has always been and will always be. Earlier in the book, last, you know, two weeks ago, he said, I, I, I was, I am, and I will always be. That's only true about the Lord. Always been, still am, always going to be. Always. When we say he's the king of kings, we're acknowledging that he is the king. He's authority over all authorities. And unique about God, all every other king dies at some point. So no matter how great a person is, how great their rise, at some point, you're no longer going to be that anymore. But not Jesus. He said, I'm the king of kings, Lord of lords. I always have been, always will be, never going to not be. So you want to come under his authority. You want to come under his lordship. You want to let him be your king. We want to be part of his kingdom. Amen. And we do so by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'll say that at the end, but for anybody needs to hear it now, how do I become a citizen of his kingdom? How do I come under his lordship? I recognize that he died for my sins. He rose from the grave and I surrender my life to him as Lord uh, and God will receive. He says, all who call upon my name will be saved. God doesn't turn down anybody that comes to him. He receives all. Amen. Moving on now, verse, oh, the last part of verse 11, he tells John, commands him to write these things down. So it seems like had he not said that, John would have maybe just been sitting there like, whoa, this is amazing, just taking it all in. So the Lord said, hey, write, write, write this down, bro. This is, this is going to be this. Some other people need to read this later on. Write, write down what you're hearing right now. And he tells them that I want you to give it to the seven churches. Now, if you take a, a map and look at these seven churches, it's almost a, a circle where they are, the seven churches of, of Asia Minor. And he's going to write seven letters. So the next two weeks, not I'm sorry, the next seven weeks, 
we're going to be doing a series on the seven churches. Each week, we're going to take one church. And it, it's an amazing study as God writes letters. It's like an evaluation. Anybody ever had an evaluation from work? And they sit you down, and hopefully they tell you the good things that you're doing. Oh, you're doing this good. Oh, you show up on time, some of y'all. Oh, you, you know, they, 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 they give you the good. And, 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 and here's the thing. If there's anything bad, he gives you that too. You know, Jesus is fair in his evaluations. To some churches, only good. To some churches, only bad. To some churches, a little bit of both. Here's the cool thing with the Lord. Whenever there's bad, he always gave a remedy. He never tells you what's wrong without telling you how to get it right. And so we're going to take our time going through those seven churches. It's going to minister to us because we are the church. Those letters were written to the church. We're, we're living in the church age. What we're going to learn through those letters is what Jesus wants the church to be. What's he love about the church? What's he not want to happen in the church so we can conform and be what he wants us to be? Amen. So we'll come back to that next week. But he tells them here, I want you to write these letters to the seven churches. Now look at verse 12. He says, then I turn to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So first he heard. Now he sees. He heard the voice. He turned around and now he's, he's seeing this image. And so we're going to start to look at this picture of Jesus and but the first thing he sees when he turned around was seven golden lampstands. And so I told you guys earlier, two weeks ago, when there is symbolic imagery in the scripture, seven golden lampstands, what does that mean? We don't just make up stuff. We don't just say, well, I think the seven golden lampstands is representative of. We don't do that. Right. We look elsewhere in scripture. Is there anywhere else that tells me what the lampstands are? I'm going to cheat ahead. For you guys, look down to verse 20 real quick. In verse 20, it says, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, that's coming up later, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So the seven lampstands are what? Seven churches. So we don't got to make nothing up. So we'll come back up to where we are in verse 12. So he turned around, saw these seven golden lampstands. The lampstands represent what? Churches. Here's a cool thing. The lampstand is a great image or picture of the church. The lampstand doesn't create the light. It's a lampstand. It just displays the light. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We don't create the light, right? We just display the light. We let him live his life through us. If a church is doing it right, Christ's light should be shining through the place. The the messages should be about him. The songs should be to him. We're just putting the light of Christ on display for others to see. So the question, two-way, as a church, right, are we we letting Christ's light shine through us as a church? Are we a good light? And that's my prayer is that we would be a great light, that we'd be a good light in our community where God places. But then individually, everybody here that's saved, you're individually members of the church. Are you a good light? As you go to work, as you go home, as you deal with your neighbors, as you go out to restaurants, as you deal with folk in the public, are you a, a good light? Are you putting Christ's light on display? Are you a good lampstand? Is Christ shining through you? Are people seeing, because we're, we're all parts of the church. We, we're gathered, this is, the church is gathering today, but we're each individual members of his church. And that's a question for us. Do we, do we display his light? Do we dim it down? Some people, when they get into different places, they try to dim it down. I don't want to sound too Christian. I'm going to say that's wrong to do. Don't ever turn your light down. The way it should go is the darker an environment I go in, the, the brighter my light should be. 
I, I, I shouldn't even have to try. Some environments are so dark, I, only gotta, I just got to go in and not do what they're doing. They're like, what's wrong with you? Nothing wrong with me, bro. What's, what's right with me? You know, like, so you'll just be a light. I don't suggest you go into dark environments and try this out, but you'll find the darker of situations you walk in as you just be who you are in Christ, you'll be a light. If you get conversations going, your conversation is going to be different. Your worldview is going to be different. Your perspective on issues is going to be different. If it's filtered through the word of God and governed by Christ, you'll be a light. You'll be a light. Uh, it, it'll just it'll be different than everything else around you, and it will be a light. And so my encouragement to us as a church is that we would continue to let Christ's light shine through us. And as individual members, when we leave this place, that we take it with us. Don't turn it down. Let, let it shine brighter and brighter. Amen. And so it says, um, now he saw the seven golden lampstands, verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man. I thought this was so cool. Jesus is in Jesus. The, the son of man is a reference to Jesus Christ. He's in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He's in the midst of his church. That's where he hangs out at. Right. That's the where the church is called the body of Christ. And when you see in Scripture, God is saying here, as we get in this picture of Jesus, he's saying, look, where am I hanging out? Where am I in the midst of? I'm in the midst of my church. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm into. You know God is intimately concerned with what's happening in the church, that he cares about this. Um, Even though God is present everywhere, do you understand that when we gather, he's present in a special way? The Bible says in, in the Psalms, it says that he inhabits the praises of his people. He's everywhere present, but that word inhabit, it means to like bend down and lend your ear. Like God's like, they pray, they, they singing to me down there. He says, I, I, I get into that. When we gather in his name, he says, I'm there in the midst of that. You know, um, he, when we gather, he says, I'm, I'm right in the midst of my church. That's why I tell people, there, there are people, not you guys, but them other people that feel like they can make it and just fellowship is optional. You know, I may or may not. Don't ever let your fellowship with the Lord become that. It's important to God. He's the one that told us to do this. He's the one that modeled doing this with his disciples. He left them and they continued to do this, to come together and to burn together. Don't ever get convinced in your mind that you're going to make it. You're going to be strong. You're going to be an effective believer just kind of hanging around, doing it on your own. I read my Bible. No, you got to come together. There's something unique about the gathering of the saints. Let me tell you something that happens when we gather. Everybody here that's saved has the Holy Spirit in them. Everybody that's saved has the Holy Spirit. You also have gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when we just hang out among each other and we're fellowshipping among each other, this, this ain't the only gift in operation here today. There are other gifts as we interact with one another, we talk with one another. There's encouragement and exhortations and words of wisdom and all these things happen as we just come together. Where If you remove yourself from the gathering, whatever gifts are in you, we're missing. They're missing here. And whatever God would have ministered, because all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the edifying of the body and for the glory of God. If you don't show up, God's your gifts are not useful to the body. And whatever God would have done in the midst of the body for you, you miss that too. And you do that long enough and there'll be something missing in your life and your walk with the Lord um, because you're not coming together and gathering with the saints. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that. He says he's right there in the midst of his church. He sees one like the son of man. And now we begin to get this description. And I told you guys, the description is not so much what he looked like, but what he does. The first thing we get, clothed with a white garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. This is a picture of the garments of a high priest. And so uh, the first piece that we get here, Jesus is, is dressed 
in the attire of the high priest. He got this long robe girded about the chest with a golden band. What's significant about that to us? In the Old Testament, the high priest was very important. The high priest was the go-between between man and God. So when you sin, the high priest would atone for your sins. He would offer sacrifices to atone for your sins. On the, the day of Yom Kippur, once a year, he would go before God on your behalf. If you needed to ask God something, you would go to the high priest. He would seek the Lord on your behalf. The, the Urim and the Thummim were on his breastplate, and he would seek the Lord for direction for you and answer you back. Um, you guys remember when Hannah wanted a baby and she went to the high priest and she sat there and prayed. First, Eli thought she was drunk. Then he realized she wasn't drunk and she just wanted a baby from the Lord. And she got her answer that day from Eli. That was what God, that was the Old Testament. New Testament, Jesus is the high priest. And he does things a little different. He tells us in Hebrews 7.25, as our high priest says, he lives to make intercession for us. I talk about that all the time so y'all can just be at ease. That God is I'm living just to intercede on your behalf because y'all be messing up all the time. And the Holy Spirit, the Lord is there saying, I live. I, it, it takes everything. I'm here 24-7 making intercession on y'all behalf. Some of y'all are working him harder than others, but he lives to make intercession for us. And we can be glad for that. It says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That means there's nothing else in between me and God. Jesus has paved the way. Everybody in this room has access 24-7 to the Lord because of Jesus Christ. You know that? You can get on your face whenever you want. You can pray in your car. You can pray in your bedroom. You can pray and be heard. You can get an audience from God whenever you want. Um, And so he's our high priest, and that's the first thing that we get. Always know this. The high priest was always for God's people. He was never against. He was always for God's people. The high priest would represent God to the people and he would represent the people to the Lord. So when he went on to the Lord on your behalf, he was interceding for you. And when he came to you on God's behalf, he was telling you what God said to do. Jesus says, I'm I'm, I'm that to you now. I'm everything. I'm your high priest. I'm, I'm interceding. I'm keeping you right. Jude tells us that now unto him who is able to present you faultless. That's amazing to me that with all my faults, Jesus is going to present me faultless, no faults. Um, every one of us, every one of us has believed in Jesus with all of our flaws, all of our shortcomings. He is going to present you faultless. That means when I stand before a holy God one day and I know what a mess I've been, God says, I'll be, you'll be faultless. The blood of Jesus will wash you of all your sins, accepted in the beloved because of him. I need to know that about him so I can be thankful. Amen. Uh, it's also there's a security in that. Uh, I understand that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to make it on my merit. So I don't get to be proud, even if you're doing great. And many of us, as God gets a hold of our lives and the work of sanctification, we're not what we were. And you get going quite a few years and you're, you're very different from what you used to be. Um, but we got to make sure that we give credit to who it belongs to. It's him that's working in us. It's the work of sanctification. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't get to become holier than thou. I don't want to look my nose down on people that are getting started. Sometimes that's what happens in the church. The older saints are looking down on those that are trying to get going, and they feel judged and snubbed. And we're, we've, we've forgotten that, man, this, we didn't, I didn't do this. I was the whole, it was been a work of the Holy Spirit. It took, it took years to get here. Um, so there should be a humility about our holiness. Amen. Because ain't nobody here holy on their own merit. Anything holy about you, God did it. 
We let him. We yielded. But God did the work. Amen. So he's girded about the chest with a golden band. Verse 14. His head. (laughs) This is going to be important. (laughs) Break this one down. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Let's deal with the hair first. So I, I, we got my people, my people, my people. There are a lot of people that say this is how we know that Jesus was black. Hair like wool. That is nappy hair. No doubt. Jesus was black. Take that. Now, go back and read it. His head and his hair. It didn't say it was nappy like wool, was textured like wool. It was what? White like wool. So people are picking the wrong thing to focus on. So the focus is the color, not the texture. I'm sorry if I ruined your image today. But, uh, it, you know, uh, who was that? Uh, was that Florida Evans had the, the black Jesus on? Yeah. So I'm so sorry. It's not the case, right? It's his head and hair were white like wool. It speaks of his purity. That's what it speaks of. And we know this about Christ, that he was absolutely pure and holy, not a blemish, not a flaw, no sin, no, nothing tainted about him. And so when it says his head and his hair were white like wool, it's pointing to that part of who he is. Perfect, holy, sinless, uh, absolutely pure. Uh, anybody here that's ever worn all white, it's very easy to get dirty. And if you get dirty, it's going to show right away. Um, and so that's the, that's why the imagery is is white like wool. This is, is perfectly holy. And if it was anything dirty or blemished, it would be easily seen here. His head and his hair were white like wool. Jesus is absolutely pure, absolutely holy. That's who he is. Again, we're getting a picture of Jesus. Remember that when you pull up in prayer. Remember that when you when you speak to the Lord, He is pure and He is holy. Um, that's who He is. No sin in him. Then it says the next part, his eyes are like a flame of fire. That speaks of his all knowing, all seeing that that he, he sees all and he knows all. If you're writing notes, I would ask you to write down Hebrews chapter four, verse 13 right here. And it says this Hebrews four thirteen. It says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So when it says his eyes are like a flame of fire, this is not a description of Jesus' eye color. This is a description of what his eyes do. They see all and they know all. Their eyes are like a flame of fire. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So that's either a fearful thing or a comforting thing. All things are naked and open. Anybody here has ever felt like, you know, as you're going through something, you know, that like, like God doesn't see it. God doesn't see everything. Eyes like a flame of fire. Anybody here been falsely accused or wrongly accused? God's like, I see exactly. I see beneath the surface. I see what you can't even see. I see not just what they did, but why they did it. My eyes, his eyes are like a flame of fire. He knows all and he sees all. Nothing is hidden from his sight. What should that do for us? What, what, what's the response to that? Me knowing that his eyes are like a flame of fire, it should impact how I walk day to day. As a believer, when I'm walking and living my life, I may have spaces and times where nobody else sees, but who always sees? And so it's been said that integrity is what you do when nobody else is watching. Some people can be good when people are watching. When I was a kid, I was a disciplined cleaner when my mom was watching me clean. I was scrub, double check, 
scrub. But then if she was gone and left me the same task, I'm gonna be real, I was not so diligent. It was like, I wiped it, I cleaned it, I scrubbed it, you know? Not as diligent, same with school. Thanks for joining us here on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through this very interesting book of Revelation. At first glance, the book can be extremely confusing and downright terrifying. But for the believer, this book brings hope that God will bring and make things right despite all the turmoil that will occur here on earth. Does learning and hearing about Revelation cause some anxiety? Or are you at peace with what God's Word says? Wherever you are at today with these prophecies of things to come, we want you to know that we're praying for you and would love to hear from you. Please call or text us at 310-245-4811. That number again is 310-245-4811. If you're looking for a place to plug in, you're welcome to join us for church this weekend too. Check out our service information for Calvary Chapel Inglewood on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. We're offering online services, so look on our website or join our live stream on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. There are links for these on our website. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, be sure to check out more of Pastor Bill's messages from this series and from other books of the Bible. Just look under the media tab for additional messages to listen to, download, or share with others. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time as Pastor Bill looks further into the book of Revelation. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to another edition of A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.